Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, the Thriller Podcast. How you doing this week, Mike? Dude, I'm excited for this book. It feels like forever since we covered Jack Carr and The Terminalist. It's probably only been a month, but this is one I have wanted to talk to you about for a while. Yeah, when we came off the the first book, then we did In the Blood, then we did the, the TV show, we I kind of, you know, we were talking to each other, and I, you had already read In the Blood, but I immediately, I mean, not, sorry, not In the Blood, uh, True Believer, but after finishing the first book, I definitely wanted to go into the next, and so I, I started reading it, and but because we had The Gray Man, and then we had, you know, some Scott Harvest stuff to do, and now we have Mitch Rapp stuff to do, you know, we were trying to find time to fit it in, and, you know, just... We we had a sort of lull in our recording, and what better time to talk talk True Believer? Because this book is, dare I say, as good as Terminalist? Better? Uh, Slightly worse? It's up there. It's very different. Let's just say that. Oh, yeah. Very different. Uh, again, maybe I'm just a sucker for debut books, and the Terminalist is one of the best you'll ever find. I I have to say this rate's just below terminalist for me. Okay. But okay. I think I'm I'm absolutely saying it's my second favorite Jack Carr book. A lot of people will say Savage Son and I do need to reread it. It's been quite a few years, but as of now, True Believer I would say, and the scorecard will show by the end of this recording, just below terminalist for me. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I I love this book. Yeah. I I love this book. I uh I think there's no better way that I could sum up the form of this book than in the form. Oh wait, no, sorry. That's that's your gig. That's your, I, wait I a minute. Know. Were you were you gonna say a limerick? <laughs> no, I was just messing with you. I was gonna read your oh. limerick. Oh, dude! By all means, I would love to bequeath the honor to you. <laughs> no, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, Chris, on a boat once lived a true believer, headed to Africa. He must avoid dengue fever. The future's less bleak. After a trip to Mozambique, a new purpose in life he's in need of. Ooh, I like that one. <laughs> throwing, throwing in a couple couple of non-real words there. <laughs> yeah, but to pick up there, this book is about finding a new purpose. Reese gets a renewed lease on life, as Jack writes, and I think following up The Terminalist and the way it ends, and I think a big opportunity missed in the TV show, if I'm being honest, was the voicemail on the phone from Dr. German that the biopsy shows there's a 75% chance of survival and that the tumor can be removed. To me, that's such a, a strong ending that when you pick up this book, it it has a mountain to climb. This book has to do a lot to find Reese, to reintegrate Reese into society give him license to operate again, you know, in the good graces of the American government, which sounds so bizarre after he literally murdered some really high up people. Right. But I th I think this book and the way Jack crafted it and Reese's mission that his life becomes lands. It lands real hard for me. And for a book that had to do a lot and had a lot to live up to, it really holds its own for me. Yeah, no, I think, you know, when I, when I was trying to think of like themes for this book or, you know, I kept on coming with this idea of like a coda, 
you know, like almost the first half, first third of this book is a coda. It's mm-hmm. it's a pause to regroup, and then we get, you know, because right, you could you could you could view coming off the heels of turn limits and the plot. You could imagine it could go one of two ways, right? I feel like a less experienced or less, you know, you know, author that wants to go for it would just either off screen or in the very first chapter summarize, you know, he he gets his head fixed and right. then he's now he's going to go and be a badass, you know? Right, 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 right. How many novels have we read that like that, that sort of trope happens? Just on to the next. Right. Instead, we spend the first, you know, you know how Jack puts his, his books into three three acts. We The whole first act is we're on the seas. We, we travel with him to the Azores, to Mozambique, spend time with him in Africa. There's times where like, and yes, we're getting very sparsely, we're getting like one or two, three, I think there's maybe five chapters max of like the overarching plot, what's going to then connect these, you know, the mm-hmm. first third to the, to the, the next two thirds. Mm-hmm. But we spend time with Jack. We spend time with him thinking about, not Jack, we spend time with James, uh, thinking about what he did in the last book, what he's going to do in the future. You know, he, he did again, like you said, he doesn't know that he has this new lease on life that he's going to find out about. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed spending my time on the farm in Mozambique, or, you know, on the range in Mozambique. His time, you know, the couple chapters when he's on the boat. Like, that was cool, you know? Whereas the other book we could have got is just, you know, a a one-chapter summary of of everything that happened. And then we get thrust maybe like halfway into his Africa, you know, adventures. And then the CIA comes calling, right? Right. Yeah, and I just – the first third of this book – I think elevates it. The second half, the second half is good, but I think the first third is what really elevates it for me. I can't agree more. And almost everything you just said off the cuff is summed up here in this quote, which is so deep and really powerful. I could see some people maybe struggling to get into this book. If you do come to it as a reader who just wants action, who wants a typical Mitch rap, you know, kicking ass, taking names, but I'm really glad that I think Jack is doing something, like you said, slower. It's his pause to regroup because that's where James Reese is in life. If you don't do that, it's going to make James Reese even less of a character. If you just have him doing badass killing stuff again from the get-go here, it's like he would be just another one of you know these many names in the thriller verse. But listen to this quote. This kind of stuff just gets me going and is a reason I love, like you said, the first act of this book. Quote, With his troop and family dead, and with death whispering in his ear, Reese had become the insurgent he'd been fighting for the past 16 years. He had become his own enemy. Like any insurgent, he needed a safe haven in which to regroup, re-equip, and plan his next move. He needed to go back to his roots. And with roots... We then get an introduction to the Hastings family, which last book let us know uh, one of the Hastings' daughters got one of the boats that he used, and then the Hastings also dropped off this sailboat, and Rafe left him the note saying, you know where to find me, you know where you have a home, 
and they're on the same page. And all of those little things are paying off here when he lands in Mozambique, gets to a travel agency who can charter a plane to the Hastings Ranch. And you even get a little memory while he's on the boat that Rafe and he met in college at Montana, which, by the way, if you notice in the TV show, Lauren, in one of the flashback scenes, is wearing a University of Montana t-shirt. Uh, so that's fair. Nice. I didn't catch that. Yep, yep, yep. So in 95, they met at University of Montana. Rafe was the rugby captain, and it was more so a drinking team with a rugby problem. And they quickly became known as the Blood Brothers, going out hunting, loving shooting. We had one of those at Catholic. Yeah, we also had a frisbee team, uh, a drinking team with a frisbee problem also that uh, yours truly was a part of. Went to many a frisbee party and and a rugby party, so. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and uh, another change was the sailboat in the book is called the Bitter Harvest. But I don't know if you heard uh, what Tyler told me. Tyler told me that in the show, they named the boat. Oh, what did he say they named the boat? It was something really clever. Tyler Boer told us they'd change the name of the sailboat that he was on to something really, really clever. But I'm not remembering what it was. Anyway. So what do you think about all that? He he lands in Africa, gets to the Hastings Ranch. Did you feel that you liked the pace? Or were you looking for a little bit more action when he was on the ground in Africa? No. I, I Again, I, I thought that while we could have... Oh, it's called... Romulus? Yes. Yes, the boat was called Romulus after Romulus killed Remus in Roman right. mythology, and that's who the city of Rome was named after. And Reese is going to kill Ben, his brother, and they kept calling each other brother the entire time. Right, right, right. So he's right, killing right. his brother, you know, for supremacy. That's a real uh, famous sailboat. I don't know, I just pulled up this Reddit uh, thread for for sailing in the... Amazon Terminalist sailboat comes up. Pretty Are cool. you serious? Yeah. <laughs> Every, you can find anything on Reddit. Yeah, no, I think um, yeah, I didn't mind that there wasn't like, you know, a lot of action going on. Obviously, like, I guess the few cutscenes we got to the what's going to be the main plot, the driver, the rest of the story. We got a little bit of action there. Obviously, you know, the opening scene, the bomb, uh, the various attacks. Was the queen there? Or the, or the, one of the one of the princes there of England? Right. They were giving the awards to the four uh, troops, and they meant to blow up the Prince of Wales, which would just be right. wild. But his motorcade was delayed, so they didn't pull right. that off. Yeah. Yeah, and then the scene with the drone getting the general of uh, so Supreme cool. Allied Command, like or of NATO, uh, that was crazy. Yeah, and we get introduced to the the CIA analyst who was the Russian spy, right? But besides that, I, I, I really enjoyed, like I said, spending time with Reese on the farm. And, like, we get a little bit of action with the with when he goes on the hunt to find the elephant, right? The When, you know, he saves the guy's life. Solomon, yeah. Solomon. Um, so, you know, there was enough intrigue, interaction. I love finding out the backstory of the Hastings because unlike you, I read these books out of order, right? Because we wanted to do In the Blood – we wanted to talk to Jack about it, so I read it. Uh, you told me that now everything makes sense, like the right. the, <laughs> the sniper and his backstory. Like obviously, this is where he comes into, into the story. Yeah. And I was going to actually ask you about that. Do you feel like these are less standalone novels than other series we've covered? 
I yeah, I really do. I think sometimes, and let's think about Vince. Remember one of those real awkward transitions? I think it was like executive power to the next to, or separation of power to executive power. The thread between the books was like he was going to kill Stu Garrett or something. And then so sure. chapter one of the next book is he wakes up on a tropical island with some woman and sneaks out and goes to kill Stu Garrett on a boat. Like, cool. But after that one chapter, it's never mentioned again. So, yeah, there was a cliffhanger. Sure, there was some connective tissue. But moments like that don't have a further meaning, especially later on in that second book. That that first scene didn't matter at all to that plot. I feel no, like exactly. everything's connected here. You you literally feel like these books are a seamless journey of James Reese's life and not necessarily different books in a series. It, it literally tells as one long, continuous story, and I love that. It's more so like, you know, a fantasy series where you would yeah. you would never pick up, you know, book six in the Harry Potter series first. And I would never recommend anyone, you know, picking up True Believer first or, you know, skipping right to Savage Sun. Whereas I, I do feel in both either Scott in Brad's series or Vince's series, you could pick up any, you could start with any of the books. Yeah, I really do. You can. Uh, there's, there's ones I would consider, I would prefer that you start with, but I, I think you can. Um, so yeah, I thought that was, it's interesting that we're covering some of these different styles of writing, different styles of storytelling with this series. Yeah, I agree. And while it's doing that, it's also, I mean, the Chekhov's gun principle uh, that in media, whatever little detail you give, even something you put on like the background of a shot or someone hands to somebody should have a payoff or should propel the plot in some way. Or and will even, have a payoff, right? And so like the the Christmas market scene is a huge important thing of why the U.S. government needs Reese back. And then... Combine that with General Alexander, I think his name was, or whoever was the Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, who the the drone attack kills him. That is an attempt, because that pays off later, is an attempt to pin this on Mo, one of right. Reese's former buddies, a local Iraqi guy that he was working with, because they built an exact similar prototype of that bomb, almost used the exact same drone specs, and hit some insurgents in Iraq with that. And so the CIA uses the files to track down Mo because the bomb has remnants of, of the same exact pattern that Reese and his team used. So even all these little details that seem like one-off chapters weaved into the sailboat and Africa plot, weaved between them, they have major payoffs and major connections to later on in the plot that don't lose you. Like, oh, you remember that general got hit outside of his house. You remember the Christmas market attacks. It all connects and and I think that's a really really hard thing to do while you're also telling a deep story about one character and his personal journey. Yes. I completely agree. Is there anything else in the beginning that like really stood out to you? There is. I mean, this book is really complex. And, and you know me, sometimes I will be quick to tell you it's getting bogged down. Things seem a little convoluted, a little messy. I don't think that's the case here. Even with all that going on, there's the Oliver Gray plot. 
Andreynov right. and Oliver Gray. There's a Russian behind all this who is recruiting a CIA worker who is disengaged and doesn't really have a motivation. Uh, he's already questioning a lot of things about his job, his role, and his commitment to the country. And Andreynov pretends to have an interest in cameras and meets him on the beach and has an old Leica from World War II to impress him. He preys on Gray's vulnerabilities, including his sexual vulnerabilities, realizing that he might need, you know, a partner. And just it, it at the same time as being a novel of personal strength and perseverance and purpose and Rich Hastings bringing this big commitment to family, to land, to local communities. It's also a spy novel. And Andreynov recruiting Gray on the beach through photography and the dialogue between them, it recalls like a Le Carre. It's, it's, a, it's a spy spies novel. And uh, I, I think to pull that off while all the other stuff is going on is fantastic. Yeah, and I like the time spent in Gray's head. Yes. Because, you know, I think at one point he even mentions, like, he knew he was getting turned and he let it happen. Because that's let it what go. he craved. That's what he wanted. He Purpose. wanted to be like the guy, you know, I guess, did he want to be like uh, Jason Bourne? Or I guess he yeah. wanted to be more like, um, you know, just a spy, like a, a super cool James Bond, I guess. Like, he wanted to be a James Bond type. And the U.S. wasn't the giving it to him. U.S. wasn't giving it to him. He's, you know, probably just, obviously, super intelligent dude especially when it comes to like russian matters or whatever eastern europe but yeah and then so uh, i don't know if you want to talk about it here or we can talk about the very end the fact that he has james reese's dad's the watch watch the rolex submariner now this really makes me want to read we we, we're we're gonna have to do savage son and what's what's the fourth book the fourth one the The devil's hand the devil's hand Yeah, yeah so I'm beginning to piece, you know, again, I read in the blood out of order. So I'm beginning to piece together this, how the Russians are ultimately involved. Obviously, Andranov is no longer in the picture and in the blood. So that's going to have to be dealt with in the next couple of books. Because he doesn't die at the end of this one, correct? No. Gray does. And Gray has an epic death, which we're going to have to talk about. Definitely. Definitely. Epic. That'll come. Yeah, no, I, I, I liked, again... I really enjoyed the beginning part, but I also really like this whole idea of this, you know, what Reese ultimately has to do, like his, his purpose of this novel, working as a spy, you know, first, first he thinks, oh, my old friend, is he doing all these things? He he would never do that. And I, I don't think he ever, he ever doubts that uh, Mo or ever believes that Mo was involved with, with any of this, you know, no. he, even though. They only worked together for a short period of time. He, he, he understood who he was, yeah. and if he is being, if he was, if he did do it, then he's being coerced to do it, which is going to be the case. Yeah, and you know the whole Gray Andranov plot line, like the very end, like the this idea of the attack, the sniper attack, I was fine with, but then like combined with like the chemical thing and, and the gas, yeah, uh, Novichok, and and like yeah, that we're getting into like. Did that really necessarily need to be need there? To you know, because yeah, um, if you just cap it with with the, the assassinations, cyber, yeah, like that was fucking awesome. <laughs> I agree. I I wish there was a hard cut. I I don't. I agree. When I first read the gas thing, I was a little like, what? It was 
kind of cool, but it wasn't necessary. And then when I read it again, I was like, yeah, this definitely isn't necessary. The sniper part. Yeah, like if I had really to pick cool. like a like a worse part or a thing I didn't like vibe with or, you know, just I had to suspend my disbelief. Like that's the part, especially like the very I'm confused how he gets in there. And he, he turned the fan around. He inverted it. Yeah, but the Novichok was already like coming out. So wouldn't he have like died? Like, uh, so it's anyways. explained away. It, it's clearly explained away, but it's not explained away in a very satisfactory way. Correct. Correct. And yeah. to me, it's like. You, you didn't need it. You had a great. You had a great plot. You yeah. had a great plot. Great Anyways. plot. Great story. Yeah. We're the we, we've been the negativity boys this month, so I, I won't bring any more negativity <laughs> in this book that I'm ultimately a highly positive to. Um, yes. But. We could plug the Scott Harvath podcast here, but after our most recent one, we kind of tore blowback apart. So maybe head to the Scott Harvath podcast to listen to Rising Tiger, and then skip to next month when we'll be doing Takedown. I remember Takedown, and I really enjoyed that book. It's a good one. Yeah, it's, it, it's going to save. Set in New York. Like, yeah, no. Uh, we're we're going to get back on track. with Back on track. It's, anyways. Yeah. We're a different podcast. C- can we dig into, though, you mentioned the Submariner, and you remember in, in even in the blood, that's a huge piece. And I like when the books have, I guess you- It's, it's coming total- up now, and it still hasn't paid off yet. It's still right. we're in book five and it still hasn't paid off yet, right? We're still wondering about that. There's also that key, right? There's the key that's left, right? That was a part right. of the cliffhanger of In the Blood. I love that all these things have two, three book long arcs. Uh, I guess the word is totem, right? These like really important artifacts that signify the depth of a relationship, but also propel the story. And then again, it's such a complex web of connections. That somehow through the writing all makes sense. Andreinov's father was killed by this Mac V. Sog special forces team uh, working for the CIA in Laos during the Vietnam War. And Gray, now that he works in the CIA, one of his first jobs for Andreinov is to pull files on who was involved in that mission. I think it was 71 or something. And Thomas Reese is identified in those files. He passes them on yes. to Andreinov. And later on, when we hear about Landry, another CIA officer turned turned bad guy, who's running Gray, also caught up in this in this web. Landry Muhammad, right? Is then exactly he's running Muhammad, exactly, exactly. Gray's intelligence is going to get Landry to go to South America to hunt down Thomas Reese to finish the job for Andreinov, and that's when he gets the watch, gives it to Gray. It's just like. Yeah, I just the op was called Ozark back in Laos during Vietnam War, and it's like, man, like we're bringing in history, we're bringing in James Reese's family, his father Thomas, who has been this figure kind of looming over everything, and continues to be and in the blood. It's just epic how how Jack is able to pull this off. No, I like to be. Another thing I liked about this novel is, is that, um, you know, the Terminalist was almost like a mystery in the beginning, right? Because we didn't know, we didn't know what the tumors were. We didn't know what what they were doing. Like that was something that was spelled out over the course of multiple chapters. Yep. So, and we got a little bit of backstory about who Reese was. Like, you know, is his immediate family obviously is beginnings of being a seal. But then this here now fleshes him out. We're, we're like peeling back the onion, right? We, 
introduce Rafe and the Hastings. We, you know, Freddie Strain, who was one of the guys like barely mentioned in Terminal List, right? Now plays a major role. I love Freddie. Love crushed me when 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 he died. Like I I I teared up. Like (laughs) yeah, that's that's, so hurts. I have to tell you, I got my father in law. I gave I bought the Kindle version of Terminal List because he he wants to watch the series, but he wants to read the book first. Yeah, and so I I got he likes to read the Kindle, so I got the Kindle version. Let him read it. He walks in. I don't know, I'd give it to him maybe like a day later. He walks in, he's like, Chris, why do you give me this book that, that's going to make me cry? And he, had just gotten to, he had just gotten to the scene where they buried yep. all the seals and like that description. And like, you know, thinking about Freddie and, and his funeral, I don't know, I, I teared up a little bit. Even though it's freaking fiction, like, I don't know, it just, it's emotional. It's very powerful. Especially because I connected with Reese, like yeah. the good guys in the story. And you're, you're so I was kind of low on the bad guys when I did my scorecard initially, but now that we're talking through it, I I actually really enjoyed the bad guys in, the, in this novel. Like they're well thought out, they're well fleshed. I freaking hated Landry. Ugh. What was the name of the the bad guy in a, um a Lloyd Lloyd? Don't like dudes that start with their name with L. <laughs> essentially, <laughs> he reminded me of Lloyd. He reminded me of Lloyd a lot. You know, like this sadistic creep. Absolutely. When we when we meet him. He freaking kills a prostitute, and he doesn't even care about it. That was that was crazy scene. Crazy don't be scene. a Lloyd. Don't be a Landry. That's our advice. Yeah. No, exactly. I don't know, dude. But let's talk about poetic justice. That dude gets what what was due. Gets what's coming to him. Freaking fantastic. The way Mo captures him, tricks him, because Mo's being run by him. He's given all these operations that. Mo doesn't know Landry was disassociated or disowned by the CIA and the American government. And so he's running all these missions and Mo is honestly doing things that lead to things like the Christmas attack or the drone attack on the general or the admiral. And Mo's like, what the fuck? And when he gets Landry and he interrogates the hell out of him, should we just talk about it? I do have the quote because it's that vicious of a kill. Yeah, no. So I, I did before we talk about it. I did have one question. As put myself in Mo's shoes, mm-hmm. he justifies it away by saying, "All right, my handlers tell me to do it. Like the U.S. government like needs to do this for a reason." Wouldn't you? Would you question it a little bit? He so he's not involved with the Christmas market, but he's involved with both the the attack in. Uh, like in London, right? And yeah, then the ceremony. As well as, is he involved with the drone strike? I I, can't, I forget if they directly link it to him, but definitely they use the same signature of bombing. Yeah, they obviously do it to make it look like right. I don't him, know if he was right? directly involved, but he was doing bad shit for Landry. So whatever it was, he he was connected, but he wasn't guilty. You know, he, right. he did I, it. I liked, but he wasn't guilty. Uh, I liked how they they immediately like Reese is like, well. All right, Mo did this. He didn't know, really know what he was doing. Whatever he's being, he was deceived. Let's flip this. Let's now make Mo one of. He already is one of the most wanted terrorists. Let's let's play up his card even further. Right. You know, let's let, let's make him an even badder terrorist. You know. So while we're essentially running him, right? I, I really like that plot, plot ingenuity right there. 
again, it, it's still a spy novel. You know, it's still an insurgency novel, even though Reese is in Africa building a team of hunters to go after poachers. Like, it, it's just crazy how it's kind of doing multiple stories and doing them all really well from different genres and different different strains of, of storytelling. Yes. But yeah, I mean, since we're on it, I, I do have a, also another good quote about the hunting to kind of bring that to a close, but... Since we got Mo, who just took Landry, he went in kind of as a double agent. He was being run by Landry, but then he's running Landry. Landry. He finally takes him aside, interrogates him off the radar. Eventually, has him stand on a stool, ties up his private parts with some piano wire, and has him uh, stand on that stool. And then, quote, all 215 pounds of him hit the gravel-strewn concrete floor with a brutal thud. Well, less a few ounces of tissue that hung for a moment on the wrong side of the piano wire until landing beside his body. An animalistic scream followed. With his hands secured behind his back, Landry could do nothing to stop the massive bleeding from what was left of his groin, as the bright red arterial blood Pulsed out in spurts, the volume of his screams decreased, eventually becoming a mere groan. He lost consciousness within a minute and was clinically dead before Mo had his truck in drive. To me, this is up there with the the swamp killing in Terminal List. This is the version of that for this book, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like the most sadistic, fucked up, like... You know, and just like it's it's not it's grotesque without being like overly, you know, perverse, I guess, you know, like you, yeah. you could have a version of that where like, you know, they'd make a bunch of dick and ball jokes. Right. But like, you know, it's clinical, but yet it's disgusting. It's a matter of fact. It's, it's a great fucking kill. I don't it's know. Fantastic. Like it's, it's, it's amazing writing. It's, it's amazing writing in terms of like writing, you know, figuring out a way how I'm going to kill my my villain. And how I'm gonna depict it on the page? I, I don't know. It's just I, I can't, I can't say any better. Like Ugh. what I think of that kill, it's crazy. And I can't think of anybody who was more deserving of that type of oh, pain and suffering. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe Lloyd from The Gray Man. But, um, yeah, right. Well, imagine both of them on stools together, <laughs> and then they kick God. it out at the same time. Oh, uh, that was so funny. No, but uh, also the interrogation. Of Landry, mm-hmm. I, I like that whole subplot where we're actually not torturing you. We're we're just altering the you know the temperatures in 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 your cell and making it rain and making it stop yep. and bringing you almost to the point of sleeping and then waking you know never letting you sleep by monitoring your heart rate like that kind of shit was crazy and you know that that stuff's actually going on like that's, yeah, like that's, you said clinical. It's like a scientific way of putting you in the worst possible physical and mental state available by monitoring your vitals, yeah. To make you break. Yeah, to break you as quick as possible, exactly. All right, we jumped ahead a little bit, but I feel like we're at the point of the story where the big hinge or the big twist is going to be Freddy Strain recruiting Reese, finding him in Africa and pulling him out of the game. Right, uh, or right. I should say out of the game of of hunting and poaching, but into the game, back into the game 
of operations. And I, I just want to wrap it up with this quote because one of the most meaningful scenes of this book, it, it was kind of a throwaway. It was kind of quick, but to me it landed was when Reese is finally out with Solomon, and I think Gona was his name, uh, some one of the professional hunters that he yeah, met Gona. up with Gona. earlier, yeah, when he visited with Rafe. And they're about to eat, and he noticed in other meals that the owners, or, you know, the whites, would essentially have a table set for yeah. them and a cooler and a meal under a tree, and then the professional hunters, the locals, would go eat off to the side and weren't really welcome at the table. And they would wait until... The right. white men ate first. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But what I love about how this changes is it's not written off as that's a bad custom. It's a line that says something like, I can accept the local customs around here, and the people are actually kind of okay with it. It's it's in their DNA. But doesn't but he says a caste system doesn't sit well with Reese. If it sits well for the locals and they they like their job and they respect the landowner and they work for them and they have a good relationship, these are still protocols and formalities that are ingrained in them. So Reese kind of wants to upset them or undo them, I should say, but not in a derogatory or meaningful way. Like that's bad what you're doing. That's wrong. Knock it off. You should sit here with us because that would be too abrupt. Right, right, right. Yeah, it would be too abrupt. It would be too shocking when you have to understand and where the local culture was coming from. So instead of saying something at the first meal, he waits until it's his mission, and he's out with the guides. And that's when he sets up the three chairs at the table, invites them to the meal, and he's sharing his culture with them, which was in the world of special operations, the leader eats last, and the team gets fed. And he says, you guys are my equals on a team, and if I'm in charge here... I have to defer to you like a servant leadership. And just the fact that he put three chairs at the table, he invites the men, the professional hunters to come eat with him and eat first. But he doesn't do it in a way that's your old customs are wrong. You were treated so poorly. Let me be your white savior and help you. No, it's more of an invitation to say, I'm going to share with you my leadership style. I'm going to show you a different way. And Solomon really likes that. You know, it was kind of cool how that was crafted. It's a very small thing, but it meant a lot to me. Yeah, no, I. It it means a lot, especially coming off some of the other stuff we've been reading recently. Yes. Um, but it wasn't like beat beat you over the head with this. It was very exactly. subtly like put in, and I, I liked how you know he wrote that like James was like he he was noti- noticing all these things, and he was gonna have to have a talk with Rafe's what uncle Rich. What, yeah. What was, what was Rich 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 later about uh, like, about that, and how. You know, it just and he even says like it just doesn't sit right with me. And you know, yeah. he goes into the whole backstory about in the special ops, like it didn't matter what color you were, whatever you were just you were there to protect each other and to yep. be each other's brother, whatever. And I, it was just subtly put in, and I was all the more appreciative for yeah. it. You know, so yeah, yeah I, I'm glad you brought that up. And it was just the approach. The approach was not your traditions are wrong. Your formalities are wrong. You shouldn't do it this old school way. It was like understanding that's where people are at and I'm going to show you my way and you, you can accept it. Whatever. I don't do that. That's, yeah. that's what you do, but I don't do that. Right. And so here's the quote. Solomon hesitated for a minute and then broke into a smile and took his place in one of the chairs. Reese was building a team and in the close-knit world of special operations where officers and enlisted men trained, fought, slept, and bled in the same mud – Leaders ate last. Reese thought of his SEAL teams, the skills developed and honed, 
through the hunting of men as they dismantled and destroyed terrorist networks across the globe. Reese was adapting those skills to a different battlefield against a new adversary. It was time to hunt again. So it's not just a side detail. It's it's a symbol of how his skills and his leadership and his experience is going to help him in this new mission. And he's going to use that, his 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 background, he's going to use that to inform this next chapter in his life. And then with the drone as well, right? There was a drone sitting in a camp that they got from somebody who tried to sell it to them. They didn't want it, whatever. One of the um, people who contracted them. Right, exactly. Uh, the One hunter, the, yeah. Yeah. And he showed them how to use it, and it changed the game of them being able to poach and hunt well. He didn't ridicule them for saying, why don't you have any technology or whatever? But he gently wanted to show and model the way forward. And I feel like that's what a leader would do in the teams. And so now we get to see Reese doing it in a different private part of his life. And ultimately, it's it's that stuff along with, you know, saving somebody's life uh, that gets them caught, right? That, exactly. That's why uh, Freddy's Train comes a-knocking. What did you think of uh, – so two questions. What did you think of the motivation of Freddy to want to find Reese? And two – what did you think of like the willingness of the CIA of the U.S. government just to absolve Reese of all of his wrongdoings? Yeah, those are those are two very good questions, very searching questions. On the first one, Freddie Strain comes. I really like the reveal because Rich is like, "There's a man here for you. He looks like one of us." And Reese is like, "Oh boy, the time has come." I thought it was going to be Rafe. I I, I, I oh, was okay. like for sure Rafe was going to show up. Because I thought, like, his uncle was going to, like, going to get a call. Like, his uncle was just going to call Rafe and be like, hey, I got your buddy. But but maybe Rafe – I guess Rafe already knew he was going there because he gave him the – The note. The, the sailboat. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I just assumed it was Rafe. We do get a Rafe sighting later on, which we'll get to. So Rafe is physically present in this book at some point. Um, I think at the funeral, right? Was that Freddie's funeral? But, yes. um yeah, no, I thought it was just someone to collect the debt, right? He's after Reese. Reese just killed all these people. You got to arrest him. You got to take him home. And and so when Freddie Strain basically explains things, and this is another thing that's cool is there's a long conversation where Freddie's laying out what's happened since the events of Terminalist, including a new president because the former one was disgraced, forced to resign, pretty much how people quickly put the pieces together of what Reese was doing and realized the guys he killed, the Admiral Pilsner and everyone were really bad. And Senator Hartley, the Hartleys were caught up in this. And so basically public opinion is shifting that Reese went from persona non grata to, he was like this myth. People like were citing him everywhere. There were reports that he was somewhere. He almost became this myth and he didn't know any of this. And so Freddie's trying to tell him, like, man, it's a different world out there. We have all these attacks, so we really need you. Uh, Muhammad Farouk, you're the last one left who worked with him. You need to find him. Well, one, so we could arrest him and stop these attacks. But Reese wants to do it. He's committed to finding him to get at the truth, knowing that Mo couldn't have turned. Really believing that. So he wants to find him. So I buy that. Maybe it, you're right. It did happen too quickly that he agrees to jump back into the game. You kind of got to suspend disbelief that the American government would want him back and take him back. 
But I thought yeah. that the information Freddie gives was enough to allow me to suspend that disbelief and move along with the story. And the last thing I'll say is all of that didn't feel like exposition for exposition's sake. Sometimes uh, some writers we're covering are guilty of this. You need to have a sit down and have characters talk for eight pages just because the reader's so lost. We've got to catch you up on everything. But here it really felt like, no, this is not the author trying to catch up the reader, which does happen, but it's a genuine attempt to replicate what a discussion like this might sound like and actually describe what these characters need to do, as opposed to writing to the reader because of a convoluted plot. This felt like a real, authentic, genuine conversation between old buddies who are professionals and going to go work for the CIA. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you that this is probably the other time besides the Novichok where I, you had to like suspend disbelief in, in the fact that the U.S. government would be so willing just to accept him back with open arms. Um, but I, I felt that it was decently executed enough that I could I could do it. I, I got over the buy-in factor, right? So, yeah. No, I, well, he's got to find Mo. Right. That's the agreement. He, that that's the key. That's the key, right? That's the agreement. Yeah. Even even if even if they had said like, you know, you're you're not off the hook, but we need you to find Mo, you know, like that could have worked too, right? Yeah. But yeah, no, I and I like the motivation of Freddie, right? Like he quits the SEALs because he didn't feel right when his team was tasked to go in and take down race, right? And he wanted to understand this man, his old, his friend, his buddy, his his brother, right? He wanted yeah. to and help find him and bring him back to bring him back into society, bring him back into the good graces, whatever. So I, I liked how Jack set up Freddie's motivation and like why Freddie is going to be like a main character in this novel. Yeah. Um, and I I think another good thing about this this book is that all of the side characters, right? Whether it's Rich Hastings, Freddie, uh, Muhammad, you know, even Oliver Oliver uh, Gray and uh, Andranov, Landry, these characters are, are decently fleshed out, and it, it's not often that we get so many side characters. Like we're sat, like I was satisfied with the descriptions and the backstories and the setup with all these characters. You know, it's very probably like the le the person who got the least amount of setup is the sniper, right? Mm -hmm. Is uh, N uh Nazar, who eventually we're go we're gonna get a lot a lot. I don't know what happens in the next two books, but you know, in, we just covered in the blood. And spoiler alert: if you haven't read in the blood yet, um, we get a lot more on on Nazar in in the fifth book. So, yeah, no, I I I don't know, I just. All the characters, well well thought out, well fleshed out, plot, super fleshed out. Yeah, this book just keeps rising. I keep adding points. So it to me, it's going above Terminalist. Wow, yeah. I mean, it it had a tall task, this book, and I think it, it holds up to it. it. It's just really incredible. Yeah, all the characters are detailed with a lot of backstory, but you don't confuse them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like they're very distinct. Andreinov, the Russian. Oliver Gray, the American. Uh, Amin Nawaz, the world's number one terrorist. Mohammed Farouk, 
Reese's old friend, Freddy Strain, his sniping partner from sniper school, who he let live in Terminalist. It's just like, to pull all that off and to keep it so clear, and then Solomon, and then uh, Rich Hastings, and Rafe Hastings floating in the background of all of this. That is, come to think of it, that is incredible. Incredible. It's some good writing. That's what writing. it is. That's what it is. It's a craft. Yeah. yeah it's... To to give all the minor characters their due. Yes. That's good writing. Yes. Without any of them being lost, forgotten, or not essential to the plot. Wow. This book is special. Yeah, it's it's just crazy how you know, we've we've covered a lot of second books on not well, have we covered a lot of second books? Anyways, I read a lot of second books and it, it's it's hard. It's hard to follow up an amazing first novel with a good second act. Yeah. And I, I'm going to have to say, like, both Brad and Vince, their second book was, you know... Okay. Not not as good as the first one. Yeah. Like, we, we, were, we were both in agreement on that, I'm, yeah. I'm for sure. They're okay. They're um, yeah. But this one's but this great. one, this one's, like great almost to the fact that i'm i'm verging on wanting to like say i liked it more but i i don't want to say i liked it more i liked it different than exactly because it's because they're so different because they're so different yeah terminalist is almost very straightforward the beats of it hit da 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 where this one it's not linear this one is a depth unto its own that i think is very rare in a thriller novel so they're completely different reads. It's almost unfair to compare them. But if you have to pick a favorite, it's Terminalist for me by a little. But it is so much more linear. It's less complex than this. To go from Terminalist to this, the level of complexity here is is just staggering that, that that could happen. So anyway. Yeah, I guess so. Terminalist is way more insular, right? It's it's mm-hmm. more James. Like we're, we're, we're with James. Yeah. Whereas... You can even see that, like this, James takes a little bit of a back seat in this novel, even though we we do spend most of our time with James. But like, like, like we just said, we get greeted and put in the 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 shoes of all these secondary characters that are going to play an important role in the plot that are that is fleshed out. That you know, it just opens up the world a lot bigger. You know, yeah. it's sort of, again peeling back that onion. To play devil's advocate, and I'm trying to figure this out, I've seen quite a few people put this on the bottom of their their Jackar list or say really? it's not. Do they just one not the like the books. whole the whole first act? Is is that why? That's because so I can see that being as a negative. That's what I'm trying to think. If people are thrown off by the the hunting stuff on the Hastings ranch, to me it's very meaningful, and I like the fact that we sit with it, that he stays there a good third or more of the book. I think what people maybe wanted was, okay, maybe he goes there for two chapters, you know, and then does his globe trotting and gets back in the game. But to me, that would have been disingenuous. So, yeah, I, I'd i imagine that's it. Maybe it's the ending also, or maybe they just wanted to see him operating more in the first chunk of this book. I, I'm not sure, but it, yeah, everything here works for me. There's not a lot of action in this book. There isn't, you know? yeah. So maybe that's a knock against it, but I don't know. I I just feel like we always get you you pinpointed it perfectly when we go from that one book 
where Stu Garrett is the main character, right? But he doesn't get ki- or the main villain, but he doesn't get killed in Vince's novel. And then we immediately wrap that story up in the first chapter of the next book. But then that plays no role None. in the story. Nope. It's literally like, I had this cliffhanger. I have to finish it, but I don't want to do anything with it. So I'm going to finish it, and then I'm going to tell the story I want to tell. Yeah, exactly. Whereas here, I don't know. The, the events of Terminalist were monumental. Like, yeah. the fact that what he went through, what he did, it's crazy, right? He wouldn't be able to just go right back into well, – because what is he going to do? Yeah. He does exactly what he what he, he would do, right? Yeah. If he knows he has a tumor, if he knows – that's I mean, he had a tumor. He knew he was going to die. That's why he did everything he did, right? Knowing that, like, he's probably not going to live long enough to have to deal with the consequences or the fallout of killing right. all those people, right? Yeah. Um. So it makes sense that he would go on this journey. He would go find salvation in a remote corner of the world, away yeah. from everybody. So that's where Jack took us. That's that's where he wrote it. Like, yeah. the story makes sense. The story needed to play out this way, and to be able to realize that and put pen to paper in that way is is bold, and the I think that's a risk that paid off. Let me try to connect something to the TV show here, because your your comments got me thinking. Let's say you didn't read and you watched the end of Terminalist. I'm curious how this Freddie Strain quote would hold up. So in True Believer, Freddie Strain is is talking to Reese and says, quote, just because you broke a few laws doesn't mean you lost the moral high ground. The James Reese in the books, a hundred percent. If you want to grapple with that, Reese through what he did in the first book, he didn't lose the moral high ground. The country's coming around to that. He broke laws. He killed people. He assassinated people. It was just retribution in a lot of cases. And if he did, if people would say he he did go too far and shouldn't have done that, they can very clearly see why he did and ridding America of those people uncovered an evil that needed to be uncovered. Do you think the TV show sets up or leaves the audience with Reese having the moral high ground? I don't think so. Uh, no, that, that's a good question. I was going to ask you, right? So we we see Katie in one chapter. Mm-hmm. He we calls get her. one line of dialogue. No, no. So we see her when he goes... He's like, I'm going to surprise her he watches at her, the yes. news station. Yes. We hear her in one line dialogue when he calls her and she says hello and that's it. So you obviously cast Constance Wu. You know, you're going to do a second season. They haven't, have they announced that they're going to do a second season yet? They haven't announced it yet. So we're all on edge waiting, but no. Yeah, that's we're, crazy. We're waiting. Yeah. It, it got great reviews. Right. Anyways. Well, not great reviews, but. Well, I think it's logistics. I think it's scheduling and logistics. So I yeah. just patience. Anyways, I think it's yeah. gonna it's gonna get yeah. a second season. But it, no, but Katie is huge. This is a good point. Yeah. So like, you're not gonna do an entire second season without Katie. Yeah. And this book isn't. You know, Katie is essentially non-existent. Like she's brought up, but wow. you know, you're not gonna do a second season without Constance Wu. So I, they're gonna have to diverge from the, the second book in a significant way, I believe. Whereas the first right. the first season was a very close adaptation of of the novel, yeah, I think you, I think you're right. But I will say, while Katie has a small role in page time, 
there's a really, really important principle that the book grapples with that literally is one of the most memorable things for me in True Believer, which is if they're going to try to talk again, if Reese is going to approach her, if he's going to keep calling her, he's got to have an answer to her question. How did you know the debt cord around my neck that Ben put there wasn't going to blow if you killed him? Because he said he had a dead man switch. So, and, and and Reese has to have an answer. And he's he's asking himself, my answer is, I didn't know. I took a no. gamble because your life mattered less. But that's not really true. What's really true is he knew Ben wouldn't do that. So it's interesting. I wanted to bring this up because he he thinks about it twice, right? Yes. We get into his head twice about it. The first time he's, he poses the question and then answers it. Oh, well, I knew because he didn't either didn't have enough time or wouldn't do that. Then he comes back to it. And so like, and he says the opposite, right? He's like, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah. So we'd, we'd actually, as the reader, we don't really know the answer, right? And I guess I don't, I don't even think Reese knows the answer. No. It was completely instinctual. It was in the moment. How deep how is that, convey, though? How do you convey that? Is this something, I mean, you can spoil it for me, spoilers for other people. Is this something that comes up in Savage Sun? Do you remember? Yes and no. I don't remember the details, but I will say, because of what I know happens in the books, there's reconciliation. Um, it still has to be grappled with, though. It yeah. like everything. No, that's in another thing. It it it, yeah. it it builds upon this. I like that. Right. That that's not something that was just thrown away. It, it's right. it's a huge it's a huge moment. Right. The fact that you decide to gamble with this person's life. Yeah, and she's living with that. Of course, it's going to play a role. With her for the rest of her life. She's going to think about that moment where the fact that she could have died. She needs to know. Her her life was in two people's hands. Ben's hands, who had her captive, and Reese's hands to try to save her. And he ultimately chose not to save her, but instead to kill Ben. Like the TV show says, do you want answers or blood? I feel like that's more important here. Do you want to kill Ben or do you want to save Katie? Like, that's such a moral conundrum. And he's grappling with, I don't know which one I wanted to do more. I ended up killing Ben, but did something tell me, by killing Ben, I can save Katie too? Or did I prioritize killing Ben over saving her? He doesn't know the answer to that. No, he doesn't know. And she doesn't know. And how is she ever going to talk to him? How is she going to move on with her life? Thinking that, the oh my god, I... I loved that phone call, and I love that it's going to take another book until we get there. Like, I know it's, it's just it's really another cool. thing that is tendrils to like keep you hanging on, you know, just like the the watch and, and his father and how that's going to play a role in in the next three books. And it's not so, cheap. None of it is cheap. No, it's not cheap at all because it's it's exactly what would it 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 makes sense. It's exactly like right. if I was put in that situation and someone gambled with my life, and I I ended up coming out of it alive i would think about that moment all the damn time you know like the fact that i could have died you know so whereas a bad novelist would just write that off yeah right could you see in the tv show them dealing with something like that because that that scene in hartley's office was weird yeah i i yeah it was very weird they could maybe work something out of it like like how Reese has to help her cope with seeing Hartley off herself and like 
I don't know. Uh, yeah, it was really weird. See that? So that's where, like the diver- uh, like I was saying, when they started to diverge from the first novel, it just is like this other spiral of like how you're going to adapt the second novel. Yeah. And I wonder, are they going to? Because obviously they haven't even announced that they're doing a second season. But if they do a second season, is it going to be even on the terminal list? I mean, on, are they uh, going to go to Africa? True believer. Are, yeah, right. they're going to go to Africa at all. You know, is it going to have the Ukraine stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this this book is like again, all these authors are freaking Nostradamus with, um, <laughs> you know, predicting various things. So yeah, I don't know. They I could see them going completely different. I could see them doing that too. It's unfortunate, but uh, if Jack's involved, hopefully they'll do it in a way that he agrees to and he's on board with. And I guess we'll see. But uh, yeah, kind of. It's just like the the Born movies. Like the the first Born movie was, it was changed from the book because the book was like very focused on the the times but you know the the essence of the book was there in the first movie but then yeah but then after that nothing continues the just the title of of the movies uh keep keep the same so i i can see them going that route all right we need to thank our patrons including our special operator sherry f our special agents daryl kevin george matt don dennis peggy Catherine, ray bridget jeff and mark Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcast platform. You can find us online at thrillerpod.com or you on Twitter and Instagram at thrillerpodcast. And as always, to the lads. To the lads. To the lads.